we need to have the kids go to catechism class. Why don't they stand up and the teacher's going? We'll pray for them and for the rest of the service. Lord, thank you so much for um, our catechism teachers, their willingness um, to serve, uh, to minister to these kids, to minister um, to the other parents so that the other parents can um, be in the service and um, more focused. Lord, I pray you bless our kids, God. Let them um, hear your word. Let it be planted deep in their soul. Let it bear the fruit, God, um, through your spirit, that only your spirit can have it bear. I pray, God, for the rest of our service, open up our eyes to your word, God. Um, uh, Apart from you, we really can't understand the words uh, written on, on the pages, God, here of our Bibles. So open up our hearts, open up our minds to see things clearly. And, um, Lord, we want to see you uh, glorified today. We thank you for the awesome worship. It was sweet, Lord. I mean, it was pleasing to you. We do ask, um, God, for your mercy and grace upon uh, Melinda Tyler and her brothers as they um, mourn the loss of their dad. Be with them. Be with Melinda's extended family, God, as they um, figure out different details and, and get ready for um, going to Tennessee to, um, to uh, bury him, God. And, uh, Lord, would you do your work in us um, that only you can do? Would you make us willing vessels um, to be filled by your Spirit to do whatever you set before us? We want, to, um, we want to be those jars of clay, God, that you can use. We have the hidden treasure, Lord. Um, let us not uh, bury it, uh, but let us proclaim it. And we pray these things. Uh, with the authority that you give us in Jesus. Amen. All right, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we did not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. 
I'd like to look um, a few weeks at uh, the topic of spiritual warfare, and um, I'd like today to, to make some introductory remarks on this um, important topic. Because we see that when God addresses this topic here, uh, believers usually do one of two things. They either swing kind of to one extreme, where there's a devil behind every bush, and um, you know every ex- every excuse is always an excuse that is pointing the finger um, at the devil. And I had I remember when I was a kid one time I was uh, I was at a picnic and I was eating eating lunch and someone knocked their sandwich on the ground and they're like the devil made me do that and I was just like as this like little kid I was like that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard like the devil made him knock that sandwich on the ground. Um, the devil made me do it. So there's kind of that extreme, you know, where it's everything, you know, basically like nothing's us. You know, our flesh isn't really involved. It doesn't, we don't have a struggle with that so much. It's always the devil, it's the devil, it's the devil. But then there's the other extreme where Satan is rarely, if ever, mentioned. Um, and it's not that these people don't believe in Satan. Um, I think they just underestimate how much he works in this world. And... Um, Sometimes it's almost like, you know, they're afraid of acknowledging that what he can actually do. You know, as if acknowledging it actually empowers him to do it or something like that. Um, But here's the thing. Since the very beginning, really two chapters into the Bible, starting in chapter 3, Satan comes on the scene. And we see something. Look at Genesis chapter 3 because I want you to see this. So if we get past the first two chapters, we get to Genesis 3. And it starts out in verse 1. Now the serpent. Now most of us probably can't remember the first time we read this because we just heard the story growing up over and over again. But imagine if you read chapter 1 and chapter 2, and I mean, it, like, it describes like a utopia, right? Paradise on earth. And then you get to chapter 3, and you're like, and now the serpent. And you're like, whoa, what's this about, right? I mean, you'd be drawn in a little bit. And so what happens? They eat the fruit, they fall. Um, the Lord God said to the serpent, verse 14, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then check this out. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What are we told at the very beginning here? There will be enmity. There's going to be enmity. There's going to be a war between the offspring of Adam and Eve and between Satan and all his demons. A battle is guaranteed. And all through the scriptures, you see that. It resonates. Sometimes very clearly, sometimes not as clearly. And guess what? Satan is there just right up until the very end. He's there right till the very end. And I want you to see this. Look at Revelation 20. We're going to a couple chapters right before the end of the Bible here. Revelation 20.
Verse 7, it says, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations. And it goes on. Uh, uh, Verse 10, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Thousands of years it takes to get to this point. Okay? So he gets his punishment. Then, verse 11, there's a great white throne, right? Then we get judged. And it's not until 21. Check this out. Verse 21, uh, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? And Satan is no more. We won't have to mess with him, worry about him, think about him, deal with him, fight against him, battle against him. But until the very end, the battle is guaranteed. If that's the case, then we better prepare for some battle. Listen, between salvation and consummation, the completion or the fulfillment, there's a long battle. Between justification and glorification, there is a war, and we need to prepare. Um, I want to read this from Charles Hodge. It's really good, and and he says it better than I could say it. Here's what he says. The Christian conflict is not only real, it is difficult and dangerous. It is one in which true believers are often grievously wounded and multitudes of reputed believers entirely succumb. It is one also in which great mistakes are often committed and serious loss incurred from ignorance of its nature and of the appropriate means for carrying it on. Men are apt to regard it as a mere moral conflict between reason and conscience on the one side and evil passions on the other. They therefore rely on their own strength and upon the resources of nature for success. Against these mistakes, the apostle warns his readers. He teaches that everything pertaining to it is supernatural, The source of strength is not in nature. The conflict is not between the good and bad principles of our nature. He shows that we belong to a spiritual as well as to a natural world and are engaged in a combat in which the higher powers of the universe are involved. And that this conflict, on the issue of which our salvation depends, is not to be carried on with straws picked up by the wayside. As we have superhuman enemies to contend with, we need not only superhuman strength, but divine armor and arms. The weapons of our warfare are not natural, but divine. How many of you know someone that's fallen away from the faith? Do you remember the first time like, you got saved and you were walking and like, someone that you knew pretty well? They fell away from the... I mean, they just walked away. Not slid, not backslidden, not doing good. I'm Like, walked away, denied the faith. Because I remember it. And I was a young believer. And, I mean, it devastated me. Because I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's not... It's not like they changed their minds on, like, a particular topic. You know? Like, oh, I like Coke now instead of Pepsi or something like that. I mean, it was a serious thing. They, they changed their allegiance to a particular God. So we have this battle, uh, and we're in it, and we have a real enemy. Satan is a real being. He is a who, 
not a what. Think about it. Eve had a conversation with the devil. Um, God in the book of Job had a conversation with the devil. Jesus had a conversation with the devil. You don't have this back and forth conversation with inanimate objects. If you do, we need to talk afterwards, okay? (laughs) Here's the thing. He has limited access to us. That's what we see. He has limited access. Um, has anyone, have any of you ever been under attack by Satan? I have. Okay, a lot. How much access does he have? However much God allows him to have. That's the answer. Um, take Job. Whole lot of access, right? Kind of the doors were, do whatever you want. At the, at the very final, do whatever you want. You, you just can't take his life. That's pretty much wide open. Uh, look at Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 31. This is Jesus. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And I said, no. No, that's not what it says, right? What does it say? What does it say? But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again... Strengthen your brothers. You know, of course, that, I mean, Jesus is still um, interceding for us, right? Okay, so what he did for Peter and said he was doing then, he is actually doing for us now. But here's the painful thing. Satan demands, makes this request of God, and God says yes. He said yes. Satan wanted to sift Job, right? He had to ask permission. And God said yes. And some of you, Satan is, is saying the same thing to God. I want to sift him. I want to sift him. I want to sift him. And God is saying yes. Okay. But, but Jesus is interceding. He is praying for you. He is your mediator. And here's the thing. The sifting has to be seen in the context of a few things. One, in terms of his sovereignty, of God's sovereignty. He rules all things. He's in charge. Notice, Satan always has to go and ask permission for what he wants to do. Also, it has to be kept in the context of God's omnipotence. He's all-powerful. And he does whatever pleases his perfect will. If he wants Satan to stop, he can do it just like that and even quicker. It's also in the context of God's omniscience. He knows what is best for you. He knows it. He knows what is best for you. And it's also in the context of God's love. He loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son for you. 
It's also in the context of God sending his spirit to strengthen you to stand firm during these times. You have the spirit right there. He will strengthen you. You have the armor of God, which we will look at. You can put it on. So why would God say yes to this sifting? Well, simply put, for his own glory. For his own glory. There's also other purposes and reasons to sanctify us, to use us for his own purposes. Um, Look, we might not like it, but he is the potter or the clay. And he can use the clay how he sees fit, even if at times it is painful. Here's what one uh, Puritan said. This is really good. You've got to listen to it. We are moved by the act of God. Omniscience holds no conference. Infinite authority leaves no room for compromise. Eternal love offers no explanations. The Lord expects to be trusted. He disturbs us at will. Human arrangements are disregarded, family ties ignored, business claims put aside. We are never asked if it is convenient. So what should our response be? Well, I think Job nails it pretty well. In Job 13, he says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. That's, that's a tough sentence to say and mean in the midst of persecution, in the midst of going through a trial, in the midst of Satan attacking you, and knowing that God is permitting it. But it's a powerful statement of faith, if you can say it. Notice also, many of you have heard this before in Job 1, when he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave... And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, Listen to me, folks. There's a kingdom of darkness. And it is alive and well. Uh, Once, many of us were in that darkness. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Sometimes it is good to be reminded where we came from and compare it to what we now have. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then see what he says? Walk as children of light. Okay, so we were in darkness before you got saved. I mean, you, you were in darkness. I was in darkness. I don't know about you, but my darkness was pretty great. It was pretty great. It was dark, dark, dark. Okay. Um, but we were delivered out of the domain of darkness. Now look at it, Colossians. It's a, it's a beautiful verse here in Colossians. In Colossians 1, uh, it says he, talking about God, 
He, verse 13, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he, he plucks you out of that domain of darkness and puts you with his Son. What's that domain? It's God's domain. It's where you're not a slave to sin, but you're a child of God. You have the beauty and the glory and the riches because Christ has gotten them for you. You have riches eternal in heaven that can't be compared to anything this world has to offer you. It goes on, 1 Peter 2.9. Peter says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He's drawing on Old Testament um, verses here. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We need to walk in the light. And if we're in this battle... We have to choose darkness or we have to choose light. We have to choose what is going to illuminate us. We have to choose it. We have a real battle against the real being. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not of the flesh. That's our weapons of warfare. So here was Paul's chance to set the record straight to get things in line regarding the Christian life. Where does he put the emphasis? It's a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle. And our weapons are spiritual weapons. Um, All the imagery that the New Testament writers use is of a spiritual battle that every believer engages in. I remember years ago, um, Change the Globe did um, this thing at um, the community college called Operation Jericho. And we were um, kind of doing the, you know, the story of Jericho. They march around seven times and praying for the walls to fall down. And so we had um, set up a little thing on Facebook, and we're advertising it and encouraging um, the college and career students to come to. I got a phone call um, from one of the head administrators at St. Charles Community College asking about this event where we were praying for walls to fall down. <laughs> So I explained to them that, you know, you know, we're this Christian group and we're praying for, like, spiritual walls in people's lives to come down so that they're open to, to God speaking to them and, and to the gospel. Um, they were thankful for that. <laughs> the point is spiritual battle, right? Spiritual battle. And back in Ephesians, that, that's what Paul is saying in verse 12. We do not... Wrestle against flesh and blood. He says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Now, when I first um, got saved and read this, I was like, oh, rulers, that's like, you know, presidents or kings and authorities. That's like people in positions of authority. So that's kind of weird because he said it's not against flesh and blood, but then he's talking about like rulers and authorities. So how does that work? Well, actually... Um, when you look into it and study it, 
all of those things, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil, all are in the heavenly places. And you see an echo of this in, in Colossians. Um, but every theologian uh, agrees that, that what Paul is talking about here is all spiritual. And it alludes to some fact that there's some type of, of p- potential hierarchy. Colossians brings it out a little bit better um, in the heavenly places with the demonic forces. Like they're actually kind of serious and it's not like a democracy and there's like however many and they just kind of go do their own thing. There's some strategy. There's some planning. Okay? They realize they're in a battle too. So they have their generals, their lieutenants, their colonels, and they're set up to fight well. The battle is very real. Here's the thing, though, folks. Look at Matthew 16. If you don't walk away with anything else, walk away with this today. In verse 13 of Matthew 16, it says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, we're in this battle, but we're guaranteed the gates of hell will not prevail. Satan can bring everything he wants against us, the gates of hell will not prevail. He can do his best. The gates of hell will not prevail. We've already seen what his end is. We've seen it. Now, I don't know if he's like deceived himself or he's just in like this like major self-denial thing and needs some counseling. But I think he might know it too. Okay? Um, but he's going to do everything he can to take out everyone he can uh, while there's still time. Uh, but his end is coming. And we, um, we need to do our job. Okay, because we're given this promise that Jesus gave. The gates of hell will not prevail. They're not going to prevail. So um, just because we have the armor um, or are greatly prepared, that's not why we're going to win. We're going to win because God has the victory and he has guaranteed it. So we're going to join him in it. We're going to put on armor. We're going to prepare ourselves. We're going to stand firm. um, But he has the victory. We have God himself. So the Bible says we're more than conquerors. Who can, who can stand against us? Who would want to stand against us? The gates of hell will not prevail. And if you look across this world at what the gospel is doing, the gates of hell are not prevailing. Okay? If you read the news, I'm kind of a news junkie, probably way too much. Um, I mean, it's just like sad story after sad story after, you know, whatever is the latest shock story, disgusting story, sad story, and, and it can look like, wow, man, this world is, is, going, is going to hell, right? Like, truthfully. Um, you you got to make sure, if you're going to read the news, you also read 
reliable sources, and you also read Christian sources, so you get the broader picture of what God is doing. Okay. Do you know the, the fastest place that Christianity is growing? It's Africa and China. And, and they um, believe, uh, they believe by 2035, there's going to be more Christians in China than any other country. All right? Than any other country. So it, it's growing. Uh, there is one, one person, uh, one res- well-respected person. There's so much revival going on in West Africa that this person said that when they meet someone from Af- West Africa and they're not a believer, they're surprised. So many people are getting saved in those West African countries. But these aren't the only places. Um, Nepal, which is sandwiched between India and China, India down below, China above it, Nepal kind of in between, a little bit smaller. A 1951 census showed no Christians in that country. Zero. 2,000 years basically after Christ, zero Christians there. Ten years later... 548. That's a pretty good start, right? 2001, 40 years after that, the number was at 102,000. And five years ago when they did their last census, 375,000. Now, now the Christian leaders in Nepal, they actually think that 2011 number is grossly underestimated. They think it's closer to 2.3 2.3 million. Six times higher. What's making the difference for these people converting in Nepal? Uh, here's the, the difference. is that Christians, really Christians are doing what God has called them to do. They're entering areas of need where neither the government of Nepal nor the Hindu majority will go. And where is that? To those on the lowest of the caste system. The lowest of the low they're going to these people. And these, these low people of the caste system, which is supposed to be illegal but still exists, these lowest people on the caste system are blown away at the idea of people ministering to them. Because they have grown up in this society and culture that says you are trash, you're worthless, you're not worth anything, and so on and so forth. You're, 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 you're at the bottom, literally, of the refuse. These people are blown away um, at the idea of ministering to them the least of these. Not only that, uh, they're blown away that in ministering uh, to them, these Christians believe they are ministering to God himself. Right? Whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. And that, I mean, that's like an explosion in these people's minds that these people are being treated like they're ministering to God himself. Now, it's illegal to evangelize in Nepal. So it's not without its... It's dangerous. In fact, a Lutheran pastor um, not too long ago uh, was murdered there. Um, and we hear a lot about Muslim extremists, um, but there is a contingency of Hindu activists in some of these countries that um, would give these Muslim extremists a pretty good run for their money um, because they are pretty um, uh, adamant in their persecution, even in willing to kill believers, um, persecuting them to the to the nth degree. Guess what? The gates of hell aren't prevailing. Let's talk about India. It's, uh, so right below Nepal and India, God's doing some good stuff. There's a, a lady there, I just read this story, 
um, a lady there by the name of uh, Punja, and she went to um, a service. They, they meet usually in, in, like, houses. She went to this small house church um, around Christmas and then came back a few weeks later with her husband, went and listened to the service, and then um, afterwards um, the church was going to kind of have, like, this strategy planning session of, hey, we're going to, you know, talk about, like, how to reach the village for Christ, right? So the pastor's like, you know, we're kind of sticking around just, like, as church members to talk about, like, doing some strategy and stuff, so you might really not be interested. She's like, no, I'm, I'm interested, I'm interested. So she and her husband um, sit through this, like, four-hour thing. As they're talking, like, hey, we want to strategize to reach the village with the gospel, um, like, one of the leaders is like, hey, you know, we need to talk, like, what is the gospel? Like, let's get the basics first. We're going to talk about spreading the gospel. Let's make sure we got the gospel. So they're, they're talking about the gospel. This lady, Punja, ends up getting saved. She gets saved in this strategy planning meeting. So she gets saved, and, and she goes, check this out, she goes, and she gathers together 24 of her friends and family, like within that week, and shares the gospel with them to the best of her ability. And seven of her friends and family come to Christ. The next week, they're having a church start in her house. Seriously. So she's, she's uh, being hospitable, and they're meet, these people start this church. Um, that's how they do it. They meet in these um, houses. I mean, think about that. She goes from within like two weeks, this new believer and seven people and, and getting saved. And she's already a church planner. Like, you know, like some, some people here, guys I know, they've been to seminary and training and all sorts of stuff. And they're still waiting to go, right? Boom, she just does it. Uh, do, you, do you guys think you could be a part of something like that? I mean, why not? Right? It's the same spirit in Punja that we have. It's the same gospel. Um, and, and she's not ahead of us. Um, all she knew was the gospel. Amen. That's all it takes to lead people to Jesus, right? And you know what? We got, we got two missionaries right here. Where, where's Hannah and Josh? There they are. They've been serving in India, and you know what? They have been laying the foundation for what's going on there. Hey, anyone ever told you you guys make a good couple? <laughs> but they've served a lot of time there, all right? And so fruit is being born because of their efforts. The gates of hell aren't prevailing. One more story from India. Um, there's a pastor there. His name is uh, Rajesh. And um, actually had a very fruitless ministry for many, many, many years was discouraged, was ready to quit, and they kind of had like this pastor's conference, and he's like, oh, I guess I'll go to it. So he goes to it, and in this pastor's conference, they're challenging the pastors, hey, here's what we want to do. It's kind of like a new approach to reaching. We want you to find a village that doesn't have a church in it, and we want you to go into that, um, into that village. And then the first person that comes up to you, we want you to say, hey, I've come in the name of Jesus, and I want to pray um, for the people in this village that they would be open to the one true God. And Rajesh is like, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> so he's like, I'm not going to do that. That's so dumb. And then he's like, well, I mean, I've tried everything else and nothing else has worked. So I might as well try one more thing and, and just prove to him it's not going to work either. He was obviously pretty depressed. Um, so he goes into a village. And the first person that comes up to him, he pulls out his line, right? I'm here in the name of Jesus. And before he could get any further, the guy stops him and says, Jesus, I've been thinking about him. 
would you come to my house and tell me about him? And this guy ends up getting saved. And then that guy that gets saved goes and tells his family, he gathers his family and friends, you need to hear Rajesh, what he's going to share. And, and these people get saved. And they start a church. The gospel is going forth. All he did was say the name of Jesus and the Spirit of God had already been working and opening up hearts there. Could it be, my friends, that the same Spirit who was working in the village in advance of Rajesh is the same Spirit who is working in the lives of people around you? Co-workers, family members, neighbors. The Spirit's doing His work. We need to join Him. So we need to press on. Look, now is the time for us to continue pressing on because the gates of hell will not prevail. Look at this in Matthew 24, a couple chapters later. Jesus is talking about really the signs of the end of the age. That's really what 24 is all about. I just want to focus on one thing here. In verse 13, he says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. To be victorious, you must persevere. Um, I love, you know, how scripture a couple times compares the Christian life to a race. Um, because I was a runner in high school and I've, I've picked it up the last couple years. I was running in a race on Thanksgiving Day this past year. Um, 5K, 3.1 miles long. And I'm running, I'm running. And like, um, I hit my first mile doing good, hit my second mile doing good, and I start my third mile. And with about a half mile left, I see a guy um, who had been ahead of me just shitting down. I mean, he's like 80% done with the race. He's just, he's got a half mile or left done, and he's just sitting there. He didn't, he didn't finish the race. I mean, close, close. But he didn't finish the race, right? And you know he had to be fast, because he was ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm running by, I'm like, see ya. (laughs) I just moved up one spot. Um, but serious, well, you've got to finish. You've got to finish the race. And um, look, there's times in the Christian race that I've jogged. There's times I've walked, right? It's not an option to sit down and give up. It's not. We have to keep running. Run the race. Run the race. Um, run so as to win. Run to win. Uh, some of us, we gotta, we, we've been sitting down. It's time to stand up. It's time to start running again. Some of us have just been walking or jogging. Uh, it says run in 1 Corinthians 9 to win. Run to win. Okay? Um, every race, most every race I ever entered in high school, I was pretty sure I wouldn't win it, but I was pretty sure I'd do everything I possibly could to try and win it. Okay. <clears throat> we got to run to the best of our ability. Run to win it. Giving up is not an option. 
Um, there's a battle, folks, and it's real and it's spiritual. Uh, I don't want it to claim your lives. I don't want it to claim your family's lives. But it's, Satan has done much, 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 much damage just in the church. Just in the church alone. All right? I'm just talking believers. He's done much, much, much damage. We have to resist against that. That's what we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But we have to push back against that. We've got to get some armor on. We are guaranteed the final victory. We're guaranteed it. We need to act like we have it, okay? Like we're going to get it and not walk in defeat. Okay? We need to wake up to the battle and realize we're in the thick of, thick of things. Uh, it's time to engage, all right? Giving up is not an option. We must persevere. We must. Let's pray. Lord, I intercede for the body here, for all the members of Liberty, for myself included. Lord, we acknowledge our complete and utter dependence on you. Um, Sometimes, even, Lord, just to get out of bed in the morning, God, uh, we need you. And we thank you, God that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you never give up on us, you never walk away. Time and time and time again, God, you are there. Even if we don't feel it or see it, we believe what your word says. So I pray for all of us, God. I pray for those that have been sitting down, for those that have just been walking. Let them stand back up, Lord. Your word says what we read today, to stand firm to not sit down. Well, we want to run. We want to run. We want to be serious about the race. It's going to be over someday. Let us be serious now while we have the time. God, the stuff you're doing in India and Nepal and all these other countries, stories, we could just be here for really weeks and weeks just talking about all the things you're doing. Some stories we won't even know about, God, till we get to heaven, but you are at work. And forgive us, Lord, for doubting that you're at work. Forgive us for doubting that you are powerful. Forgive us for not seeing, Lord, that you are good. Forgive us, Lord. So wash upon us your spirit. Wash upon us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. We want to be mighty, Lord. And you say to be strengthened with your might. So may we be strengthened, God. May we run. May we fight, Lord, this battle for you, for your glory. Amen.